Our first scripture lesson today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1. First, let us pray. God of generations past and generations to come, you have shown your faithfulness to all those who have called upon your name and put their trust in you. Inspire in us a faith as strong as those who came before us. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did. When I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that is lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. Our second scripture reading continues. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, that same letter we just heard, but this time we hear the concluding verses of chapter 4. So hear now that which is widely considered to be the apostle's final word. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful in ministry. I have sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and also the books, and above all, the parchments. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Aristus remained in Corinth. Thrompphemus, I left ill in Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. On July 4th, 1826, both John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died. The last surviving members of the Founding Fathers, the two of them shaped much of the country as we have come to know it. While they served actively in the political landscape, their relationship was a bit fraught, most notably when they ran against one another in the presidential election of 1800. Later, though, that friendship resurfaced and prevailed. 
And in 1812, years after both men had vacated public office, Adams sent Jefferson a letter. Jefferson wrote back, and they corresponded that way for 14 years, exchanging more than 300 letters between them. And so on July 4th, 1826, 50 years after the Declaration of Independence had been signed, John Adams, age 90, uttered some of the most famous last words. Shortly before he died, he said, Thomas Jefferson survives. Those words have etched themselves in history in part because they are an enduring legacy to a long friendship, but also because they were wrong. He couldn't possibly have known it, but Jefferson had died five hours previous. Last words can be fascinating. Take Beethoven. His last words were, friends applaud. The comedy is finished. Winston Churchill, the elegant wartime orator, his last words were apparently, I'm bored with it all. <laughs> and Thomas Edison, who changed the way we could see the world, his last words offered something of a promise. It's very beautiful over there, he said. Now, if hearing all of this on All Saints Day leads you to think about how maybe you don't know the last words of someone beloved to you, that's okay. The truth is, I don't either. I have sat alongside many in their final moments, and if I am being honest, I don't remember the last words at all. But today, the last words that we need come to us from the Apostle Paul. His last words, I think they come to us as a gift. Now, to be clear, not all of Paul's words throughout his entire life could be considered a gift. Some of them were perplexing. Some of them were challenging. Some of them were annoying. Some of them... I might go so far as to say we're flat out wrong. But these words, his final words, I believe they are a gift. Now, if you were with us last week, we read some of this same letter, but we read from a section in the middle when Paul manages to offer one last lesson or two in biblical interpretation. I guess he just couldn't help himself. That's in chapter 3. But a few minutes ago, Byron read to us from chapter 1, the very first words of this last letter. Paul greets his friend and calls him beloved and wishes him grace and mercy and peace. I am so grateful, he says. Your presence in my life, it has brought me joy. And then he talks about Timothy's mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Your faith is like theirs, he says. And that leads me to wonder if Paul actually knew Lois or Eunice. If he met them at some point on his travels, it's possible. It's possible, but no one can actually confirm that for me because this one little mention is the only time those names appear in all of Scripture. 
Maybe Paul knew them, or maybe he just knew of them, because Timothy talked about them. Either way, they are preserved forever in our sacred book. And that happens again at the end. The teacher teaches in the middle, but at the opening of his final letter and at the close, he reaches not for more lessons, but for even more names. Demas and Crescens and Titus, Luke and Mark and Tychicus and Carpus, Prisca and Achilla and Onesiphorus, Erastus and Thromphemus and Eubulus, Pudens and Linus and Claudia. I suppose we know a couple of those names, but most of them, just like Eunice and Lois, this is the only time they're mentioned. I think that is the gift. All we know of most of these people is that they were loved. That is their only legacy, having been loved. They might have done other notable things. Actually, they probably did. And they might have done some other unfortunate things. Because they are human, they probably did. And at the time of Paul's writing, maybe those who read this letter knew every detail of every one of these lives. But now, well, what do we know of them now? In the end, what has endured? We know they were loved. They were called by name, and they were loved. <coughs> Later in this service, we'll read a list of names. It will be part of our communion prayer. I know many of the names. I don't know all of them. Some of them I had never heard before receiving them. Some of them I will probably never hear again, but their names are mentioned, their names are included because they were loved, because they are loved. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that God says to each one of us, I have called you by name and you are mine. You are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. It is good to be known by name and to be called by name. And not because our names themselves are actually the be-all, end-all. Names change throughout scripture far too many times for us to be convinced of that. Our names matter because of what they point to, that we are known and that we belong and that we are loved. We use names at baptism for exactly that reason. But just last week, my friend, who is also a pastor, she was summoned to the hospital in a hurry. A baby had come early, very early, and there were complications. She was called by a nurse because the mother was in surgery and the father was with doctors and the baby was about to be taken to surgery. They want you to baptize the baby she was told. What is her name? 
my friend asked, because that's what we do in baptism. We don't know, the nurse said. Everything happened so quickly, they hadn't chosen a name yet. And so my friend said the words and dabbed the smallest possible amount of water and baptized beloved little one, child of the covenant, whose name is surely known by God Almighty. Now I am glad to tell you that Mama and Daddy and Hannah are now doing okay, and that each day brings a bit more strength with it. And so once the immediate chaos had passed, one of the nurses asked the father if they were going to redo the baptism and use the child's name. No, he said, there's no need. He said it was never her name that mattered most. What mattered most was the love of God that cradled her when we could not. It was a declaration of love more than it was a declaration of her name. Demas and Crescens and Titus and Luke and Mark and Carpus and Prisca and Onesiphorus and Eurastus and Eubulus and Linus and Claudia. More than anything, what Paul offers us here is a litany of love. And while all of the other details may have fallen away over the course of some 2,000 years, the knowledge that these people were loved remains. Paul wrote it in another letter at another time to another group of people, but he wrote it. He wrote, love never ends. And I think that you know that. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but it bears repeating. If you will indulge me, I invite you to call to mind the person that you are remembering today the person that you are missing and grieving. And think about one of your favorite memories with them and hold on to that. And even as you hold on to that and you think about how much you loved them right then, think about how much you love them right now. It's not any less, is it? It couldn't possibly be. Because even though death has come and death has done its worst, your love remains as sure and as strong as it ever was. And if that is true of our love, if that is true of our human love, how much more so is it true of God's love? God's love holds on through everything and anything. It never lets go of us in life or in death. And so what is always true about us and what will always be true about us is that we are loved. 
Paul points it out in his very human way. And as he does that, maybe the teacher does in fact end his last letter with a last lesson after all, pointing us once again through the human toward the divine. Because as far as Paul is concerned, but much more importantly, as far as God is concerned, the final word about any of us is that we are loved. And if that is all that could ever be said about any of us, it would be more than enough. And yes, I know we are called to love. We are called to the action of loving too. But when it comes to the love that will one day welcome each of us home, God's love is what makes that possible, not ours. We don't earn our way into heaven. We don't even love our way into heaven. Love just opens wide the doors and bids us enter. And so for all of those who have shown us the way, and for all of those who will meet us again one day at a great feasting table, thanks be to God. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.